Man, I'm so excited about today for so many reasons. Um, one of the first reasons I'm excited about today is, as many of you know, the Cleveland Browns start their first regular season game today. <laughs> as what I think is the Super Bowl season, and I'm confident about that, but I'm confident every year, so we know how that goes. But I'm also excited to be here at uh, Northside Medina. I don't get the opportunity to be here very much, and I love being here. Um, as many of you know, uh, Northside Wadsworth had to shut its doors this morning and just go online. And so what a privilege it is to still be able to worship God in person here outside. I think it's a tremendous blessing and something that, that we can't take for granted. Um, and so I'm so happy to be here. And so I don't want us to overlook that, that it is a privilege to be able to worship God here in person, especially in the midst of the times we're in now. And so I found out on, on Wednesday that I would be preaching today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so I ended up uh, finishing my sermon last night at about 11.30 p.m., but God has given me a word, and I can't wait to deliver it to you today. Um, the Spirit's going to speak today, and He's going to move, and I believe that firmly. Um, you all have been prayed for and, and, and prepared, and so I can't wait to get started. But I did want to say that, that since I didn't find out until Wednesday I'd be preaching, there's no outline or sermon notes or anything. So I'm just going to ask that you follow along. I, I kept it pretty simple, and it's kind of a short sermon, so I hope I don't bore any of you, but... But there's no outline or anything, so, uh, so we're just going to roll with it. The series we're in today is called Game Plan. We're starting a new series here at Northside. And we're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount. Arguably one of the best sermons ever preached by Jesus himself. And it's in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And so this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. So before we get started, I'd love to pray for us. Dear God, we thank you for allowing us to meet here in person to this morning, to praise you and worship you in a beautiful, beautiful morning. And know that you are more powerful than any situation, than any circumstance, that you are always in control. That no person or institution will ever be in control, but you are, God. So God, we thank you. God, I ask that you speak through me today because we want to hear your words and not mine. In your name we pray, amen. So we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. As I mentioned, there's no outline or anything that I gave you, so you guys are going to have to do the work on your own, and you're going to have to look it up <laughs> on Matthew chapter 5, verses 1. And so I'm going to read it to you. And it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now I want to stop there because there's something important here. See, this location that Jesus is at, the mountainside, this mountain was most likely over the Sea of Galilee, and this mountain was used by revolutionaries to preach the revolutionary messages. And so they would come to this mountainside because it was away from Roman occupancy or Jewish leadership, and they would come to this mountainside and, and preach the revolutionary messages that, that was unconventional or maybe a different way of thinking. And so right off the bat, we see Jesus go to this mountainside, and he's going to preach something that maybe we're not accustomed to. He's going to teach truth that, that maybe we think is weird or foreign or maybe against this world's norms. 
And so right off the bat, we see Jesus is about to spit something that's going to be really cool. And how many of you can look back, look back at your life and confirm that maybe you had an opinion about something or maybe you thought a certain way about something and once you read the truth or, or heard the truth about what Jesus thinks about it, maybe it changed your perspective a little bit. I mean, honestly, I want to take a step back right now and kind of examine ourselves for a moment. Before we dive into to what Jesus' te- teaching is, I want to examine ourselves first and, and really think about, okay, what is it that's guiding your, your thoughts or opinions? What's influencing your thoughts? Maybe it's an article you read online. Maybe it's a Facebook post you saw last week. Maybe it's a video you saw from accredited official of some new research that no one really knows about yet. Uh, I mean, maybe it's your relationships with your friends, your family. Or maybe it's a certain political party or a people group that you align yourself with. Or maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't know, I don't let any of that influence my way of thinking, but I'm telling you that that's not possible because when you read or when you watch or when you interact with something, it's influencing the way you think and the way you perceive things. And so there's a lot of different opinions out there, right? I mean, I think I can say that now more confidently than ever. There's a lot of different opinions out there and people feel very strongly about them. But that's not a new idea. See, back when Jesus was teaching this, uh, this sermon on the mount, these people that were listening to Jesus were dealing with much, with much of the same thing. See, there were different rabbis at this time, rabbis as in teachers, that would teach the scripture, and they all had what they called their yoke. And what their yoke was, was basically their interpretation of scripture. And, and, and it kind of guided you through life. And so, so here, Jesus is going to teach basically his yoke. And, and this audience is dealing with this, with this pressure of, of, of trying to understand which, which yoke should I follow, which rabbi's teaching should I listen to. And so they're sitting at this mountainside and they're struggling with this internal pressure as well. And as we know, Jesus is the one that is the one true God and he preaches truth. And so he starts off in verse three and he says something that already is against maybe what we're used to. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I wanna focus on that first part, blessed are the poor in spirit. Some of you heard blessed are the poor and you're like, sweet. <laughs> like, just take a look at my bank account. I am so blessed, right? <laughs> and that, that, that alone goes so against what we, what we see in our Western world, right? When we see someone that's really wealthy or has a lot of money, what do they say? They don't say I'm rich, they say I'm blessed. Or if you go to their house or something, their big fancy mansion, and you compliment, you said, oh, your house looks so nice. And they're like, yeah, you know, I'm blessed. And right off the bat, Jesus is, is turning that perspective and said, blessed are the poor in spirit. But as you know, this verse probably isn't just referring to financial state. You see, there are two words used for poor in the Greek. And one of them It is for financial state, but that's not really the one used here. The one used here could be translated as powerless, helpless, afflicted, needy, or lacking. 
It's still poverty, but it's, it's a deeper state of poverty. And so what Jesus is saying here is blessed are the powerless, blessed are the helpless, blessed are the afflicted, the needy, blessed are the people that lack. And so right off the bat, Jesus is saying bless those who are powerless and needy, which is, goes so far against what we hear in our world. Our world tells us blessed are the rich in spirit, blessed are the capable, blessed are those who don't need anything or don't need help from anyone, blessed are those people. But Jesus right off the bat turns the table and says, no, 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 blessed are the powerless and the needy. And this is weird because there's no room on a resume for poor in spirit. Right? When you're applying for a job, you're not going to say, oh, I'm poor in spirit. <laughs> There's no politician that's going to campaign saying, oh, everyone in this nation, if you elect me, you're going to be poor in spirit. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming your New Year's resolution wasn't to be more poor in spirit this year. Because that goes so against what the world teaches us, what we ought to be. And so... I'm going to walk us through real quick. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Like, what does that even mean? What does that look like? I think basically it means saying I can't. I can't. Being rich in spirit is saying I can. See, Kyle Eidelman, he shared an excerpt from this self-help book that he read. And this is what it says, and I quote, you start off every day and you look in the mirror and you say, I am confident and I am capable and I am strong enough. I have what it takes. My life is unfolding beautifully. I'm deserving and worthy of every good thing. Which like just a side thing, like could you imagine waking up and like one of your family members is just looking in the mirror and saying that to themselves? <laughs> That's really weird. <laughs> But this is what, this is a self-help book, right? Like, this is what the world teaches us. Like, you got to wake up and you got to tell yourself, I'm confident. You know, I can do this. My life is unfolding beautifully. Right? That's called being rich in spirit. And so Jesus, right off the bat, he says, no, no, no. I want you to be poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. This doesn't mean that you should live a life of insecurity or insignificance. But it means that in order to live a life of significance, you have to say, I can't, so that God can say, I can. One of my favorite scriptures in all the, in all the Bible is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, or chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. And this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And he says this, but he said to me, he's referring to God, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He says, I rejoice in my weaknesses. That's not something the world tells us to do. Because Paul understood something, that when he was weak, that God would take over. And then he became strong. 
that in his weakness is when God was the strongest because God could take over. See, when we're capable and we're strong enough on our own to do our own thing, then we tend to push God out of the picture. We say, no, 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 God, I can handle this. I can do this. But as soon as we say, I can't, then God can step in and say, I can. And let me tell you from experience that God can do a way better job at anything than I can. Earlier this summer, I was approached on maybe considering taking the job as the next-gen director here at Northside. And right away, I, I, I responded with doubt. I said, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I can do that. You see, I have a lot of weaknesses. I have a lot of things I'm still working on. I don't know if I'm spiritual enough to be a spiritual leader. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know about this. And so after a few weeks, I was encouraged to consider it. And so I said, okay, I'll consider it. And I remember one weekend my parents were gone and I decided I was going to do a 24-hour fast. So I fasted from all electronics and all food. And I just wanted to focus on what God wanted me to do. And I remember during this 24 hours, at one point I, 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 I'd made a list of reasons why I should or should not take this position or apply for it. And after writing this list, I realized that in all my reasons to not take it were all weaknesses and insecurities that I had. And I remember God reminding me over and over again of this exact passage that I just read. That I delight in weaknesses. Because when we are weak, that's when God's the strongest. And so that's why I can stand before you today as the next-gen director at Northside, knowing that I am weak, that I have weaknesses, and that I can't do this job. But I know who can. And that's what it means to be poor in spirit, to be aware that you can't do it, but God can. I mean, you, know, you all know the story of Moses, right? He, he ended up he was in a position of power in Egypt and then he killed someone and he went out into the wilderness for years and years. And then God approached him in the form of a burning bush. And he said, hey, I want, Moses, I want you to come back and I want you to let my people go. And he was referring to the Israelites who were enslaved by Egypt for about 400 years. And he said, Moses, I want you to come and approach the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And what was Moses' response? He said, I can't do that. Like, I can't speak. I, I'm not good at speaking. I, I don't know. I can't do that. And it's interesting to see how God responded because God did not respond and say, oh, yes, you can. He didn't say, okay, repeat after me. I am capable. I am strong enough. My life is unfolding beautifully. Like, that's not how God responded. God responded. He says, yeah, you're right. You can't, but I can. God's exact response in Exodus chapter 4 is, what's that in your hand? And Moses said, a staff. And God said, throw that staff on the ground. And he turned into a snake. He said, Moses, I know you can't do this, but I can. And what got the Israelites out of Egypt, right? The 10 plagues. That wasn't Moses. That was God. It's God saying, I know you can't, Moses, but I can. And then they get to the Red Sea, and Moses can't cross the Red Sea. But God says, I know you can't, but I can. And they cross the Red Sea. And that, that, that repeats throughout the rest of history is, these great people of faith realizing that they can't, but God can. 
I remember the, I started my position as the next-gen director here on August 1st. And on July 31st, I tested positive for COVID. The day before I started. And so for the first two weeks, I was stuck in my room. That next Sunday was going to be the first Sunday that the high school was going to meet Sunday morning for a long, long time. It was like a really exciting Sunday. I was so excited for it. I was going to teach and it was going to be awesome. And then I had COVID and so I had to stay in my room. And so I had to frantically text my volunteers and say, hey, you guys got to help me out. Like you guys got to run this Sunday. I think God taught me something very important in that time. He taught me that the high school and middle school ministries at Northside are not going to be successful because of me. They're going to be successful because of him. I mean, ministry in general, whatever ministry you're a part of, whatever you're doing for God, it's not going to be successful because of who you are and your talents and abilities. It's going to be successful because of who God is. Because thinking that we can do it on our own, that we can make things successful is being rich in spirit. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who say, I can't, so that God can say, I can. Because if you think God is only capable of filling up a cup, he's going to fill up a cup. But if you think God is capable of filling up a semi-truck, he's going to fill up a semi-truck. But we love to limit God to things that like, okay, I don't... I can control this, God. Like, leave this alone. I got this, right? And that's being rich in spirit. That's saying, I can. And that's pushing God out of the picture. And so here's the catch. God only helps those who can't help themselves. Think about that. If you can help yourself in a situation, do you tend to call out to God? If you can help yourself, if you can do it on your own, then I don't know about you, but I don't call out to God. I say, I got this. But God only helps those who can't help themselves. In Mark chapter 2, verse 17, it, is said, it says, and this is Jesus talking, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, for many years, I thought this verse was referring to the healthy as in perfect people and the sick as in imperfect people, right? That, that's what I had always kind of thought about. But, but then I read the context, and what he's talking about is the religious leaders. He's saying he's referring to the healthy people as the religious leaders. And the reason that they're healthy is not because they're perfect, because they mess up, but it's because they didn't admit that they were imperfect, See, Jesus came for people who admit that they are sick, that they admit they need help, that admit they're imperfect. Jesus didn't come for those people who said, oh, no, no I got it all figured out, and they push him out of the, out of the way. See, Jesus says, I, I'm the doctor, and I'm here for people who are sick, not for people who are healthy. I think many times in my life, I'm, I'm under that healthy category where I'm like, I'm good. I got this stuff figured out. And if I'm being honest, I think that's the biggest thing that turns unbelievers away. As they see a lot of healthy Christians. They see a lot of believers who, who put off this, this idea that they got it all figured out and that they're good to go. 
And then unbelievers look at that and they're like, well, I'm not like that. So Jesus said, he said, I'm, I'm here for the sick. I mean, just think about all the miracles Jesus performed for tax collectors, for prostitutes, for the lowest society, the homeless, the disabled, the, the, the people who no one else cared about. Jesus was there for them. He said, I'm here for those who are reaching out to me. I'm here for those who, who know that they need help. I mean, just think about that woman that reached out and touched Jesus' robe and instantly she was healed because she knew she couldn't do it on her own. That she needed God. I just think of the example of going on a missions trip. If you haven't gone on a missions trip, I encourage you to do that. Start saving up now. Because it will change your perspective on the world. But when you see these missionaries, it's amazing to see how dependent they are on God and how strong their faith is. And the reason being is because they are poor in spirit they realize that they can't do it on their own. They realize that they need God. Many times they don't know where their next paycheck is coming from, and so they're depending fully on God. They're saying, God, I can't do this on my own, so I need you. But I think many of us, we, we somehow have come to this conclusion that, that we've earned the breath in our lungs. They were like, oh yeah, I feed myself, I, I drink water, I, I go to work to pay the bills. Like, I've earned this breath in my lungs, but... It's God's breath in our lungs. And I think many of us, we think we're entitled to certain things that, that we're not. And so I want to encourage you with this. That whatever season you're going through, whatever hardships you're experiencing, maybe you're going through a really good patch of life, I encourage you to remind God that you can't and that he can Because something supernatural happens when we take a stance of faith and we remind God, hey, God, I still trust in you fully. Because God responds to faith and God responds to those who are poor in spirit. Pray with me. Dear God, I thank you for the blessing of being out here today. I thank you for the opportunity to listen to what you have to say to us. God, I ask that you remind us to stay poor in spirit, knowing that when we are incapable, you are more than capable. God, we know that we can't do this life on our own, so God, we ask that you take over. Because God, you're the only one who can. God, we know you're in control. We know that circumstances seem out of control and we think that, that, that certain institutions or certain groups of people are in control, but God, we know that you're in control. So God, remind us that we can't, but you can. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.